Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on January 9th, 2022 by our lead pastor, Rod Heppel. Today, Pastor Rod kicks off our winter 2022 sermon series entitled Messy Grace, Messy Truth. For more information about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Welcome here today. What a crazy week it's been with this incredibly snowy and icy weather, and I'm super glad that you've chosen to join us. Now, today we begin a new sermon series called Messy Grace, Messy Truth. This past summer, Ann and I were traveling out to Briarcrest to take Brendan there to school. That's out in Saskatchewan. And, you know, a great way to pass a long trip like that is to listen to podcasts. And so Ann was playing a podcast for me uh, by this guy named Caleb Kaltenbach, who's the author of these two books right here. One, Messy Grace. That was the first one written in 2015. And then Messy Truth, just written this past year. Now, Caleb is an evangelical pastor down in Los Angeles, and uh, presently he's in his mid-40s, he's married with a couple of kids, um, and he's reflecting in his books, though, back more into his childhood years, because he has an amazing story, an unusual one as well. You see, he grew up in a home where his parents divorced when he was fairly young, uh, but then his mom, who remarried, didn't remarry a man, she remarried a woman. So he was raised by a lesbian mom and her partner, as well as his dad, who he found out later towards his late teen years that his dad also was gay. So he essentially was raised by two gay parents and a gay stepmom. Hence the title of these books, Messy Grace, Messy Truth. Now his story is an amazing story because at 16 years old, uh, he went to a youth group to kind of kibosh the Bible study there. He wanted to prove Christians wrong. And while he was at that Bible study, he began to read the word of God and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He then goes on to a Bible college, and then in Southern California, he goes to the Graduate School of Talbot uh, School of Theology, and then on to um, get a doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. So presently, Caleb is a pastor in Southern California, but he spends a lot of his time helping churches process and navigate through the challenges of sexual orientation and issues that are related to it. So in his first book called Messy Grace, he focuses more on how to personally, uh, with friends, navigate this topic and relationships. And um, what he's done in the second book is to focus more on, as it says in this title right here, uh, more towards church community. And how do you foster community that's, that's, um, that's caring and loving and inclusive as far as drawing people in while not compromising or sacrificing your conviction? So how do you foster community without sacrificing conviction? And you know, as I'm listening to this podcast, it piqued my interest for two reasons. One, first, I felt like his insights on this topic were exceedingly helpful. I'm sure we're all facing the questions that we have about what's going on in our broader culture and how as Christians do we interact and engage with that. So as a true insider for himself, being raised in a home like that and being an evangelical Christian pastor, he had insights that really helped me uh, in that area. Secondly, what I found was that the principles that he's sharing in these two books are just discipleship principles. They're principles that apply to how we engage in our world today as followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's why I wanted to take some time to look at this topic of messy grace, messy truth. Now, why messy? Well, messy because we live in a messy world. People are messy. Or more accurately, sin is messy. Uh, and so it's a great title and it's a great topic. For the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this because we want to, as a church fellowship, but also as individual Christians, be engaging our culture. Why? Because we want to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is for everyone. So I've just simply taken his book titles and I've turned them into 
this sermon series. And I want to thank Diana Schaff, who makes these amazing graphics for us. Let's pray. Father, as we come today to look at this topic of messy grace, messy truth, might you please give us ears to hear that we might understand more deeply Jesus and his love for this world, and that that would be the mission that we're about. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So each September, our staff, or October, comes together, early fall, and we lay out some goals for the year, kind of the school year, you know, starting in September, going through till the summer months. And um, each year, we also take a look at what is one thing, we call it a golden thread, what is one thing that you could do, and maybe what is one thing that only you could do, that if you were to do it in the life of our church this year would have the greatest impact. Dave Lee introduced us to this idea of a golden thread. It's kind of like an overarching theme or goal that you have to pay attention to. And if you were to pay attention to it, it would have the greatest impact on the life of the church. And so we each on staff have done that. Here's what I wrote this last September. Rod's golden thread. To create a culture in our church family that is more concerned about loving people to Christ than catering to ourselves. Now, I know that sounds a little bit edgy, right? But I have written that with myself in mind as much as I have anyone else. You see, it's a whole lot easier just to focus on running our programs and doing our thing within the four walls of this church than it is to really think about how are we going to reach the community around us? Because engaging with the community is far more challenging. And so I'm, I'm feeling a sense of need, both as individuals in the congregation and collectively as a church family, to engage in the mission of Christ in our world beyond the four walls of this church. We want to make disciples, right? We want to first be disciples of Christ. That's what it means to follow him. But then we are on a mission, which means that we are to be a part, a part of that process of helping other people become disciples in Christ. So this is the calling that we have. Um, it's stated a number of different ways in the New Testament, and I want to give just a few samples of that. So in Matthew, chapter 22, uh, verses 37 and 38, and these are the words of Jesus. He says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind, and we are to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see here that we have this mission stated in pretty simple terms, that first and foremost, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, right? And then it doesn't stop there. We're, We're to reach out and to love others. And so loving God and loving others or loving others to God is our mission in this world. Another example is found in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is calling his first disciples to come and follow him. And he uses this interesting language about calling them fishers of men or fishers of people. Uh, It's obviously a play on the fact that they were fishermen. They fished for fish and now he's calling them to something different. Um, He's asking them to now be involved in something that is spiritual and something that is eternal. You've been fishing for fish, which is a part of the earthly realm and a part of a temporal thing. Now I'm calling you to fish for people that they might know who God is and truly turn their hearts towards him. So the mission here is to follow Jesus and to fish for people. The third passage I'll give to you is called the Great Commission. We call it that. Um, It's Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And these are the words of Jesus again. He comes to his disciples and, uh, and he says to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
So what we see here is this mandate that we are to make disciples of all nations, of all people, and to the end of the age, which speaks to us today, that this is still the command of God for the church, to make disciples of all people for all time. So loving God and loving people and leading people to Jesus and fishing for people, all of that language is about the mission of the church. And that's why we're going to take the next four weeks to talk about this. We're also going to have Rob Schaff, as you've already seen, put together these little videos that are helping to explain uh, the ways in which we go about the mission of Christ here at Sardis Fellowship of making disciples. So we've already seen part one. We're going to see one of those each week for the next three weeks. It was about 10 years ago that our church leadership brought together a lot of the ministry leaders and some people in our congregation to kind of work through what, how could we articulate the vision that Sardis Fellowship has for being here in, for existing? Why does God have Sardis Fellowship here in Jilliwack? And so we came up with this, this particular vision statement, which still serves us today because it was so well written and it's still very practical to, um, to our mission. Our vision is to be a community centered in Christ, empowered by the Spirit to the glory of God as a visible, transformative, just presence in our local community and the world. So here you have the whole idea of this mission of Christ about making disciples of all nations because it's about being in Christ and being about transforming the world through the power of Christ. So we sometimes just shrink it down to the three um, phrases we have here, centered in Christ, visible in community, transforming our world. Now, this part, this mission of the church that we've been talking about here, really has been the same since Jesus gave the Great Commission. Nothing has really changed, except for this. The context in which you live does change. So times are changing. And for certain places in the world, it looks different than it does for us. But the mission itself doesn't change. We are called to make disciples of all people. So I think what's challenging for us today is the context in which we now find ourselves living as Christians in Canada in 2022. And I think it's challenging because things are changing. And we find that hard. You see, it's not that long ago, most of us can remember a a different time when our Canadian culture was a little bit more sympathetic, more or less, towards the Christian message or Christian values. Uh, At least they were more tolerant. I mean, I can remember as a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s, and it was true at that time that people were definitely more lenient towards who Christians were and the the message of Christ in the world. And maybe some of you who grew up in the 50s and 60s would even know it even more so. But it's not like that anymore. The times that we've lived in, or the times that we live in now in our Canadian culture, is a time when people have more of a skepticism towards Christianity, a negative spirit towards Christians or at least towards the values that Christians hold and the convictions we have. They are not the accepted norm of today. And this can create within us a tension, right? Why? Well, because we remember the way that things were, and we kind of want to get back to more looking like that. The values that seem to reflect more who we are as Christians and who Christ is. But what can happen is we start fighting for the wrong thing. We get a little bit misfocused. We start fighting for our rights, and we stop fighting to share Jesus with others. So we stop doing the thing that Christ has called us to do, and we engage in something that's only going to hinder the message of Christ. What ends up happening sometimes is we begin to see people as enemies. The very ones that Christ has called us to, to love and to bring this message to, we begin to view as an enemy. We take on an us 
versus them mindset. The message of Christ that we're supposed to be taking to them now gets lost because we're consumed with fighting for these other things. But we're not doing the one thing he's called us to do. When Ann and I were listening to that podcast this last summer, um, there was a, a particular thought that they were bringing to our attention, which I think was really helpful. And we were pondering it together, talking about it. They said, you know, we need to realize that the people in Canada today in North America are, are living consistently with what they believe. They have turned their back on God. They don't believe that he's there. They don't believe that morality is based on God's standard. And so they're just living consistent with how they view this world. And, and so why are we shocked when we see the values of our culture around us changing to be so contrary to God? They related it to the Israelites saying that it's more like they're, we're now living in Babylon. And you know, Israel got taken into captivity in Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, they didn't live like they could have lived in Israel. And he's, they were challenging us to consider that in our North American context, it's more like that. As Christians today, we're living in Babylon, not Israel. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy finally realizes and she says to her dog, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Well, we're not. Canada is a post-Christian nation. and I know that's not new. We know that. But sometimes I think what we know in our head, we feel very differently about when we're living out there in our everyday lives. And what I'm afraid of is that we stop loving our neighbors and we stop sharing the gospel and we start doing other things like protesting and being known for what we're against and not what we're for. And I think Christ is still calling the church to be known for what we're for. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people, is for all times, even when a culture has turned its back on God. That's the message that we have to take to them. So let me ask you a question. Do you know your neighbors? Like, do you actually know the names of the people who live on either side of you or on your street? Have you ever gone and introduced yourself to them? Have you ever let them know that if they need anything, they can ring your bell? As in, they can ring your doorbell? Are you actually proactively seeking opportunities to make connection and to reach out to them with the intention of bringing them to Jesus Christ or to helping them find the love of Christ? Now, I know that the Bible talks about loving your neighbor as more than just the immediate neighbor to you, but it's a good starting place, right? And I think if we can't answer positively to those things, then maybe we really need to look at, are we serious about the mission that Christ has for us, right in our own homes, right on our own streets, and then, of course, the people we see and interact with each and every day. So what does all this mean? Well, the mission of Christ hasn't changed, and really the method hasn't either. God is still about using people to reach people. That the good news of Jesus Christ comes through us sharing it. And that's why grace and truth matter. Um, it starts with me knowing the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and living it out for myself. But the second part of it is sharing it with others. So our goal as followers of Jesus is to share Jesus with others to lead people to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So in John chapter 1, it's put like this. Now, John was a close personal friend of Jesus. So when he's writing this, he's reflecting on the teachings of Jesus. He's reflecting on what he witnessed by way of Jesus meeting people, uh, how he spoke to them. 
the, the interactions that Christ had. So John's reflecting on that, and he says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And I want to read John 1 so that you catch that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We'll drop down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16 and 17 gives us the name of the one and only Son of God, okay? Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. That just means grace upon grace has been given to us through Jesus. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we see that this one, the one and only Son of God who is full of grace and truth, is Jesus Christ. Now John knows this. Uh, and he wants us to know it because this is how we go about the mission of Christ in the world. Um, it comes through grace, but it means we get to speaking the truth. Now, why both? Why not just the truth? Right? Like we might think if Jesus is the truth, which he is, then why not just state the truth? And who cares about the grace part? Well, it's interesting um, because essentially, yes, that's the goal, is that we would hear the truth, know the truth, believe the truth. But it's not the nature of God to just do that without doing it through grace. You see, the very coming of Jesus is an act of God's grace. The very going to the cross is an act of his grace. That's why grace and truth go together. I know that we probably know that the definition of grace is unmerited or undeserved favor. But let's think about that for a moment. Something has been done for me that I don't deserve. Jesus, who is the truth, came into the world to go to the cross, to die and rise to life again, to offer me something that I can't earn and I don't deserve. That's God's grace. And so when we understand the truth and we take it through grace, that's how we're to extend it to others. I believe that our challenge is the same as this here, which is to be like Christ, full of grace and truth. Like, it's really hard to hold these two in equal tension. We tend to kind of lean towards one or the other. Um, you, you don't feel a tension if you're just one or the other. You only feel the tension when you're trying to live both of them out at the same time. So let's think about that for a second, because if you only ever spoke grace to a person and never truth, you wouldn't feel the rub. And if you only ever spoke truth to a person and you didn't care about them, well, then there's no love, so there's nothing lost. It's only when you're trying to hold these two in tension that you can feel that there's something here that's hard to do. And what this author, uh, Caleb Kaltenbach, calls this feeling, this tension, he calls it love. At the moment that you're wrestling between the grace and the truth aspect, what you're feeling there is love. And that makes sense to me. You know, we love people enough to say something. But we don't want to do it in such a way that we don't have the opportunity to continue to influence their lives. And so grace and truth go together. We often think of tension as a bad thing. Um, no one, at least by way of a feeling, none of us like the feeling of tension. John MacArthur, though, picks up on an interesting observation. He says, you know, as Christians, we live with a lot of tensions in life. And then he uses this illustration. He says, have you ever heard a violin make music when there's no tension on the strings? 
Of course not, right? It takes the tension in order to make the music. And to apply it here, I believe that the tension is made, uh, or, or that the music of grace and truth is that tension. Uh, that grace and truth um, make the music. There are a number of stories in the gospel that, of Jesus um, where he encountered people and he displayed this balance of grace and truth. And I just want to reflect on a few of those here this morning. The first one is found in John chapter 4. It's a well-known story. Uh, if you don't know it, please go read John 4. But Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. Now, there's two things going on here. As a Jewish man, it would be very odd to have a conversation with a woman, let alone as a Jewish man having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. So on both accounts, there was definitely, culturally speaking, um, something going on here that was an act of, of grace, you might say, for Jesus to find himself in this situation. The woman and Jesus engage at a well, and in their conversation, uh, Jesus is asking things of her, like, could I have a drink of water? And then it turns into this living water, and then it turns into this conversation about where to worship. And what you see is in the dialogue, Jesus extending grace to this woman as she begins to put together the pieces of truth. It, it, there's a journey they go on where she realizes that he, Jesus, knows the truth about her, which leads to her then realizing the truth about who he is. And she comes to understand him to be the Messiah. Uh, it's this amazing story where in the end, she goes back to her village, says, oh, I met the Messiah, you know, and then they, they come out and meet Jesus and they ask him to stay there in that town and he does. And so in this encounter with not only the Samaritan woman, but the Samaritan people, Jesus displays grace and truth. And it closes off by saying, because of his words, many became believers. In Mark chapter 10, we read another story. It's um, in the different Gospels, in Luke and in Matthew. Uh, it's it's a, a young man who's wealthy. And he seems to be a very... Uh, devout Jewish God-fearing person because he keeps all these commandments. But Jesus can see through him. He can see clearly the error that this young man has. But he makes this amazing statement about this young man, even though this young man cannot give up the wealth that he's put his trust in. Uh, Jesus says to him about the law, you know, which of these commandments have you kept? And this young man declares, oh, I've kept all these commandments. Uh, I've kept them since I was a boy, he says. And then it says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, you don't see that written too often in the Gospels. We kind of pause there. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And on a sad note, the young man cannot do that because his wealth stands in the way. You know, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus, from the beginning, engaged this man to try to help him come to a place of discovering the truth about himself and his need for God at a deeper level. But he couldn't do it. But Jesus displayed grace and truth. In John 8, we read another story about a woman who was caught in adultery. Um, you know, it's one of these bizarre stories because where's the man who was also caught in adultery, but he's not there? Um, Jesus is being trapped or trying to be trapped by these religious leaders who have brought this woman caught in adultery to him. Because they know that if Jesus 
doesn't agree with the law of Moses, which actually states that people who were caught in this sin or participated in this sin should be stoned, killed. Um, now, if he doesn't actually follow through on this, that he's obviously uh, contradicting the law and being himself a lawbreaker by nature of not agreeing. But if he does go along with it, then who is he really? Because he has been this person displaying the love and grace and compassion of God. So you can see that Jesus is in a hard position here. What will you do is what they're asking him. Jesus, what did he do? Well, it says that he, he bent over and started to write something in the sand. And then he said these words, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left standing there. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So what I think we see in this story right here in those closing words is the grace and the truth element, where he says, neither do I condemn you, but don't carry on in your life of sin. So we can see that Jesus is displaying grace and truth. Now, to be clear, both are needed. Um, both are good. They need, though, to be held in tension. If my grace speaking never leads to truth, well, then I'm not really helping anyone, and I'm definitely not doing the will of God. But if my truth speaking is not guided by a spirit of grace, then I run the risk of being like these Pharisees. And Jesus was very hard on the Pharisees. In fact, it's good for us to stop for a moment and realize that we do not want to be like those religious people. Our community and the greater, broader world looks at us and says, oh, you're Christians, you're religious people. Do they see us like Pharisees? We don't want to. I mean, Jesus was hard on the Pharisees. Why was he hard on the Pharisees? If you were to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, you would encounter a lot of examples of Jesus getting pretty angry of the Pharisees. I'll just give you a sample here in Matthew chapter 23. It says that Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not participate, oh, pardon me, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, uh, uh, which, by the way, are these little boxes that they would strap to themselves with uh, little pieces of Scripture. So they make them really wide, and they put tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets, and most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. And then Jesus goes on to say, so you're getting a, a picture there that they are, um, they're, they're not practicing what they preach and they're all about being uh, seen for their showmanship where the heart really isn't following God, uh, but their outward appearance is. Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So there's no problem giving a tenth to the Lord, but don't neglect the thing that's more important. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. 
you pick up on the little thing and you miss the most obvious thing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. And you know, I just think we need to pause and reflect and realize that whatever it is that we see out there in our broader culture that isn't in keeping with God, we have to look on the inside of ourselves and realize that we have the same problem with sin. I think these words sum it up pretty good in verse 13 and 11 of what Jesus is trying to warn the Pharisees and disciples of his against, okay? He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. In other words, these people who are supposed to be the ones to guide people to God stand in the way of them coming to God. Why? Well, they've got it all wrong. Their pride and their self-righteousness prevent them from seeing God rightly and prevent them from being able to lead people to God rightly. And so Jesus says in verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, I think we need to stop and ask ourselves this question. In how I treat other people, am I more like Jesus or like the Pharisees? Like, am am I judgmental in such a way that, like Jesus said, I I can see the speck in someone else's eye and I miss the two-by-four in my own? Or, Or does the grace of God permeate my truth speaking when I encounter other people? Because Jesus came full of grace and truth. And that's the model for us as his followers as to how we are to interact and encounter others. But you know, we lean one way or the other. Sometimes there's grace-leaning people and sometimes there's truth-leaning people. And it takes self-awareness to realize we probably lean one way or the other and we need to actually pay attention to hold the two in tension. When you hear of someone who is doing something that's not in keeping with God's word, do you feel attention? Because we should. We should feel attention. If we're not feeling attention, it means that there's probably something that's actually out of balance. We're not really being full of grace and truth at that moment. Uh, If our only thought and feeling and answer is only ever grace, then we would never get around to speaking God's truth to that person whose choices and behaviors are out of keeping with God. But if our only thought and feeling and answer is only ever truth, then we would just be mean and rude to people. And that's not the spirit of God. That's not the nature of God. But I would say that most of us try to speak truth in love and that we feel that tension, right? I mean, think about it. It's because you care about that person that you wrestle. You feel the tension between saying nothing at all or saying too much and losing the opportunity to have influence in their life. You want to be helpful, but it's really hard. And what you're feeling in that moment is love because love is the tension that we feel when we're trying to help someone grace, and truth. And I want to say that none of us get this right all the time. I mean, we're not perfect activists, right? I think we just have to check our own hearts and make sure that we're doing our best to be living the truth, living the grace, and encountering people with that. And I think that our goal is to have an attitude of grace while speaking the truth of God. That's our goal. And we need to help each other to to do that properly. 
There are so many situations that require great wisdom in life. I, I know I get to talk with a lot of you in our congregation about your situations. Some of you have family members that you love dearly, but the tension is so high. And that the speaking grace and speaking truth part, or speaking truth and grace, is exceedingly difficult. Some of you are trying to walk alongside a close friend. And they're not walking with the Lord right now, and you want to help them, but you're wrestling because you don't know what to say or how to say it. You're wrestling with grace and truth. And that tension you're feeling is honest love towards that friend. So to guide us today, I want to leave you with two passages of Scripture that I think can help us as we are out there in these various situations trying to be what God wants us to be. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So the, the connection here is that we speak the truth in love. Why? Because we do want to grow. If we don't ever speak the truth, well, then we're not going to grow. We need to speak the truth in love. That's how we grow and mature. The second passage talks about how we work with people who are caught in sin. So it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So again, we see here that, you know, if a person is in sin, those of you who are living rightly in the Spirit of God are to instruct that person gently. But be careful. Why? Well, because we too can sin. And so that's that tension that we live in where we speak God's truth in love. So my prayer is that God would guide you by his Spirit as you submit to his leading in your life to be filled as Christ was, full of grace and truth. Here's some reflection and discussion questions that I want to leave with you today. The first one is, have you ever experienced someone sharing God's truth with you in either a gracious or a non-gracious manner? And what was that experience like? So reflect on both, right? What was it like when someone was actually not gracious with you compared to when someone was gracious with you? The second one, would you say that you lean towards being a grace person or a truth person? What could you do to try and hold these two in better tension? Now, to be clear, we always want to be a truth person. But it's like, am I actually being gracious while I'm living out the truth of God? And this, the third one here, this might help us if we're not quite sure um, how we are with the leaning towards grace and truth. But as I reflect on my encounters with people, people that I've disagreed with, would you say that you look more like Jesus in those situations or like the Pharisees? I know that's a really edgy question, but I think it's the one that we're asking ourselves. And then the fourth one is, what is one thing that you or I could do this week to be more on mission for Christ? Let's really, truly look at our lives and ask, God, how do you want to use me in this world? Because our world needs to know the love and the grace of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. May we be people filled with grace and truth. God bless you as you go this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.